Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guests today are from Utah Foster Care, and the website is easy to remember because it's utahfostercare.org. We have CEO Nikki Mackey. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. And Director of Recruitment, Jenny Shepard. Welcome. Thank you. So great to have both of you here. I haven't had you on all along the Wasatch before, so hopefully this will be the first of many times that you'll join us. So maybe, Nikki, we could start with you and just, you know, kind of your elevator speech about Utah Foster Care. What is it? Who started it? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. And and like Jenny said, when before we got started, she could talk about this for 20 hours. So <laughs> we're always ready to talk about foster care. Uh, Utah Foster Care was created in 1999, and I've actually been with the organization since we opened our doors. So oh, okay. It's been an interesting journey, really fun to be a part of. Um, the state of Utah was sued in the early 1990s um, for just some struggles within the child welfare system. It was underfunded, like so many. Like every nonprofit. Yeah, like every nonprofit <laughs> and, and uh, government organizations. But it was underfunded. There were some real struggles with uh, safety of kids in care. And so the state of Utah was sued by the National Center for Youth Law. And because of that, there was an influx of money and attention brought that was vastly needed. And uh, Utah Foster Care was created as a solution to a part of some of those struggles. So the state legislature and Governor Mike Levitt at the time came together. They rallied some community members and said, let's um, do this new experiment. Let's privatize a piece of child welfare and create Utah Foster Care to help us with some of our needs. And that's how we came about. Hmm. So, Jenny, maybe you can answer this question. It sounds like you are both a government agency, not Exactly, but not contracted exactly a one hundred percent nonprofit either. How does it's sort of a hybrid? That's well, we're contracted with the state of Utah to help to educate, find, train, and support our foster families. So we, while we're not a part of the state, we definitely work closely with and partner with the state through a contract. But we are a nonprofit, five hundred one c three. So yeah. your funds don't come from one hundred percent government or one hundred percent private. It's a combination Correct. of both. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I always like to kind of find out how people got to where they were. And, Nikki, you mentioned you've been there since the beginning. How about before that? What was your background? And then how did you end up being there right at the beginning? Yeah. So prior to working at Utah Foster Care, I worked as a caseworker with Division of Child and Family Services. I was a foster care caseworker for four years uh, after I graduated from college. So I did an internship at DCFS and started working there. And foster care, I just tell people it gets in your blood, it gets in your heart, and the kids and the families touch you and you you just want to keep helping wherever you can. And when Utah Foster Care was created, it was an exciting opportunity to be a part of something new and change things up a little bit. So that's For how sure. I started there. And Jenny, how about you? Where did you come from and how did you get to be where you are today? So about almost 20 years ago now, I became licensed as a foster parent. And like Nikki said, it gets in your blood. And I found that I have a passion for child welfare. And I stayed licensed for about 10 years, had two children join our family through adoption, and many, many, many more individuals that just became informal parts of our family, whether it's the biological families of these kids, some siblings that didn't end up in our home but that are still very much a part of our children's lives. We just have become this huge network of family that has joined us through our foster care journey. And after foster parenting for several years and getting that bug in my system, I went back to school uh, to learn more about social work and social 
political science and got a degree. And my whole goal during that time was to be able to work with Utah Foster Care. And so fortunately, shortly after graduating with my degree, I was hired in the Orem office to become basically a recruiter of foster families. We Mm -hmm. call ourselves foster adoptive consultants, where I got to kind of use my experience as a foster parent to help other families know what this could look like for them and to educate them about the process and the needs, et cetera. And so I now I've been with Utah Foster Care for about nine and a half years, so almost 20 years total with experience in the system. I'm guessing you're not the only one who maybe has been a foster parent or still is and work at Utah Foster Care. That's correct. <laughs> we actually have quite a few employees that have been been foster parents or are currently foster parents. It's actually quite typical for our employees to also be foster parents. And Nikki, give us the kind of the picture. How many kids in Utah are currently in foster care? How many should be but are waiting? Um, how many kids have been adopted through Utah Foster Care recently? Maybe just, and, and we know these are all individual kids, but just to kind of give us the scope of it. Yeah. And I love that point. They are all individual kids. And it's it's important to always remember that as we're talking statistics and numbers. Right. Um, in the state of Utah, there are around usually uh, 2,000 kids in care. That number can go up or down a little bit, but right around 2,000 kids in foster care across the state. We have just under a thousand foster families, so we are always in need. We're always sharing our message, saying we need more families. We have kids that that need opportunities to be placed somewhere safe while their families heal, and um, so it's it's always a need in our state. And people are surprised to hear that when we mm-hmm. talk about it. Often they they think that because Utah's so amazing, and because people volunteer in our state, and because people want to give back, that that need is most likely being met, and they're surprised to hear that it isn't. So um, according to the annual report for Division of Child and Family Services, last year there were just over 300 children that were adopted from the foster care system, and there were over 650 that were reunified with their Mm -hmm. biological families, and another 400 that were placed permanently through adoption or guardianship with a family member. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways that... Um, cases can can play out within the system. And um, and we'll talk about best case scenario coming yeah. up in just a few okay. minutes. Okay, sounds good. Um, what are some of the myths surrounding foster care? I tell you what, one of the biggest myths and one that actually kind of creates a lot of stigma around foster care is that foster parents get paid. Uh, here in Utah, our foster families are reimbursed mm-hmm. rather than paid, which means that the amount that they're receiving is actually fairly minimal. In fact, the amount of money that foster families get per day is significantly smaller than what you would get if you boarded a dog for a person oh for the day. And so our foster families are in this for the heart of it. Right. They're working to create change in the state amongst families, amongst children, and in general. And so the biggest myth and stigma being that people are in it for the money because there's never a place for that here in Utah. Um, That's not to say that our families couldn't use some better financial supports. There are some specific things that would be helpful, but currently there's not a family here in Utah that's trying to do this for the money. (laughs) So that's big myth number one. At least not succeeding. Right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's fair. Um, Um, Who can foster and who can't? Well, honestly, here's this is where other myths come into play. Okay. A lot of times people think that because they're single, they can't be a foster mm. parent. That's not true. So people think that if they're a member of the LGBTQ community that they can't foster. That's not true. People believe that if they are renting an apartment that perhaps they can't mm. foster. And again, that's not true. Um, people need to have space in their home. That's a fact. But they don't have to own their home. They can be single. They can be married. There's so much more openness than what people believe. I mean, obviously, there's 
there's important things that do need to be in place. People need to sure. be able to pass yeah. background checks and be a healthy and safe place for children. But it's much more open than what people believe. Any other myths that we want to try to dispel? I think that oftentimes people believe that children in foster care are troubled. And I think that that is not a great way of looking at it. I think that that itself is a myth. These are kids who have been through hard things. And oftentimes their behavior reflects the difficult things that they've been through. But one of the beautiful things that the other children in my home have learned by having children come into our home through foster care is that these kids are are living through the difficult things, mm-hmm. but they're healing and that they're getting better and that they're not bad kids, but that they're kids that are healing. And sometimes there's behaviors that come along with that. I'm sure we could talk for quite a while about the different dynamics of living with your own biological children and with foster kids as well. I'm sure that that's not, that's complicated, I'm sure. It is, but there's a lot of beautiful things that come with it. Our kids have learned that um, because kids have difficult behaviors doesn't mean that they're bad people. I kind of already touched on that. And they have learned a lot about being accepting of others diversity-wise, and just learning that diversity looks a lot different than what it maybe does when you're giving it like legal definitions kind of a thing, that every family and every home is diverse, whether or not uh, it's your next-door neighbor, they're living a different lifestyle, a different whole culture perhaps, even if they are somebody living next door to you. And our children learn to be so much more accepting when they're seeing different children come through and learning that our way isn't necessarily the best way, it's just what we're used to. How do you not keep them all? (laughs) (laughs) That's a question that everybody wants to ask, right? Like, how do we let them go? But the truth of the matter is there are so many people in our lives that we love that we don't keep, right? We have nieces and nephews that we love dearly, and yet they don't live with us. We have other things. And the other really, really important piece of this is that how can you not? Like, how can you not allow you to break yourself a little bit, break a little piece of your heart off in order to be a part of the success of a child's life. It's worth it. And I would imagine seeing them go back to their family in a more healthy situation. That wouldn't be hard. I mean, it would still be hard, but, yes. but a little less difficult. We have a dog that we've been fostering for 11 years. Oh. That's what <laughs> yeah. There is an absolute emotional yeah, roller coaster sure. attached to all of it. That's a given for sure. And Nikki, um, I saw on your website that it's important to keep children in their culture. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, Jenny touched on it a little, that culture is such a broad term, and that can mean ethnicity, and that can mean um, sexual orientation, and that can mean um, a whole variety of different things, right? What does their culture look like? And and we work really hard to try to recruit and, and bind families in the communities that the kids are from. So they stay within their school culture, mm. what they're familiar with. So they stay within the, their um, ethnic culture and food and language and things that they're comfortable with and familiar with. Um, we have a Native American specialist on our um, team that works closely with the Native cultures in our state. We have um, a diversity specialist that kind of touches on all the different things. So it's really important for us to to offer um, the services that we provide and really go out into communities and, and talk to individuals and say, these are kids coming from your community, from your culture, and how can we meet these kids where they're at and help provide that stability and comfort for them. And that just makes sense. It's disruptive enough. You want to limit how disruptive it is. Sure. Yeah. And keep yeah. them comfortable. Um, If a family or a couple or a person are thinking about becoming a foster parent, what's their first step? 
the easiest thing to do would be to go to utahfostercare.org and there's a place in there where you can easily request information and one of the foster adoptive consultants from a specific area would reach out and just start helping to answer questions and navigate the process with them. And if you fill out that form, you're 100% committed. (laughs) Forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) We'll show up at your door with a child within 24 hours. No. I just know sometimes people are a little scared of filling that out. Like, is this, am I committing right now? And that's not the case. What we'll do is reach out with some information, typically through email, maybe follow up with a text like, hey, can we answer any questions about what we've sent you? But uh, we never want somebody to start this process that isn't 100% sure of it themselves. And so there's definitely no pressure around it. We do want to make sure, though, that the families have all of their questions answered. Yeah. Um, I would imagine there's a lot of support for those foster parents and foster families after things get underway. There are a lot of You don't just supports. throw them out there on their own. <laughs> no, we have um, groups that meet of licensed foster families. We call them cluster groups where ongoing trainings happen and also just uh, that social support that happens. It's really useful when you're talking to other people who are having similar experiences. And so there's that. We actually have our own app where all of our foster mm. families can interact, ask questions of each other, get advice vent if needed Um, and these kids also interestingly one of the big supports that we find is that these kids are provided Medicaid when they come into foster care and that Medicaid opens up a whole volume of resources that are also Mm. a resource to the families because these children are going to benefit from therapy and the therapy that they're able to get through their Medicaid allows them as much as Mm. they need as long as they need it and that's a valuable resource when you're dealing with a child who has trauma and so that's one thing also through the state DCFS also provides supports to foster families. They have someone in their corner called a resource family consultant, and that resource family consultant gets to know the families and kind of what that family culture may be and how many children they're open to and what age ranges and kind of what would be a good fit for that family. And so as children are coming into foster care, those resource family consultants help to kind of make a match between the children coming into care and the houses, the homes, the families Mm -hmm. that have availability. And Nikki, I know every kid is an individual kid, but again, just big picture, who are the kids that need foster care? Who are the kids that are coming into the program? What what are their commonalities? Uh, great question. I think their kids needing foster care range from newborns coming straight from the hospital to teenagers getting ready to become adults and everything in between. So foster families are able to really identify um, an age range of kids that maybe are they're comfortable working with or comfortable having in their home. And if they say we want teenagers, that's a better fit because of our lifestyle, because of our availability, um, then that's who we're going to work to to make a good match on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. We want the kids to be in a great spot. We want the families to feel good and have that feel like the right place. Um, the biggest need that we have, generally speaking, is for foster families willing to take sibling groups and willing oh, yeah. to take teenagers. Um, that's the hardest group of kids to place. Um, sibling groups, I would say especially. Um, and and you, obviously your goal is to keep them together if you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And if, if you think about it, you know, somebody said once in a training years ago, and I hadn't thought about it this way until then, 
is typically in life, your sibling is your longest relationship. Oh, yeah. And so if we can keep kids together, that's ideal. If we can't place the sibling groups together, then placing them in um, separate foster families but keeping them in contact with each other and, and connected is the next best thing. And I love that you corrected me on this next question. The <laughs> ultimate first choice after foster care is to go back to their own family. Uh, the second choice would be to go to other relatives. And then maybe the third choice would be either to be adopted or we'll talk about foster to adoption in just a minute. But talk about that a little bit. Your goal is to get these kids back with their families. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the number one priority. That's what the parents are working towards. That's what the foster parents are supporting when they come in. That's a big piece of our discussion um, before they start training, all through training is what does that look like? Because like you asked, the biggest question is how do you not keep all the kids? Yeah. How do you not get too attached? And we have foster parents all the time that say we do get too attached. Mm-hmm. That's the absolute point of what we're mm-hmm. doing is to get attached. If we're not attaching to these right. kids, we're not helping them heal. And so that uh, it's the most beautiful circumstance can happen if the children have a safe place to be while their parents can heal and address this situation that brought them into foster care. And when foster families and biological families can build a connection and build a relationship around the child mm-hmm. as the priority, then when the kids um, are returned home and, and are able to go safely back home, then the foster parent oftentimes stays in their life and stays as a support to not only the kids, but now to their parents. And that is really a beautiful thing to watch. And And it's happening more and more. I think um, it's just just amazing. That's good. And Nikki, you sort of mentioned, like, as the foster parent, you kind of take the hit to the heart so that the kid doesn't have to. That makes sense. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that's easy. No. No, it isn't easy. (laughs) Absolutely not. So there is a thing called foster to adopt. Um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that confuses a lot of our families because they're like, oh, foster to adopt. That's what I want. That's what I'm here for. I would Uh love to foster to adopt. But what we're actually asking of our families when they're saying to us that they want to foster to adopt, that means that we're asking them to sit in two separate spaces at the same time. Right, Meaning that when these kids are coming into foster care, we want to place them directly into a family that that's going to be their long-term placement, hopefully their only placement for the entire time that they're in foster care. But while they're in that family and in that home, that family hopefully is helping and and working and hoping for this child to be able to be reunified with a healed family. And so they're holding that space of we hope that this child gets to return home. But (laughs) But if adoption is your goal, that's not really what you're focused on. Exactly. But the flip side of it is exactly that, though, that if the child isn't able to return home, the next best scenario, if extended family members haven't stepped forward, is that the child never has to leave that Mm -hmm. family that they were placed with that very first placement. And this has happened to me in my home. A child placed directly into our home, reunification wasn't able to happen, and that child is still with me 13, 18, 21 years later. (laughs) Now, did you go through the adoption process, or was it just you're here, everything's fine the way it is? A little bit of both. We have some kids that have joined our families permanently that we have not adopted. And we also have children that have joined our families uh, legally through adoption uh, through foster care. And I would imagine there's lots of reasons to do one or the other. Government benefits and all that kind of stuff. That can definitely play into it for our families, for sure. So can you share, you you said, Nikki, that you think it's getting better and we're getting more kids back with their families. Maybe a couple of recent success stories. 
Yeah, um, I think that DCFS is doing an amazing job of really working um, as much prevention, you know, preventative services as they can provide. And also, um, if a child does need to be placed in foster care, wrapping around that family as best they can to get that child back home as quickly as possible, as long as their safety is taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, they've just been working really hard to make that happen. And and we're definitely seeing the outcome from that. I think as far as success stories, um, for me, I I go back to when foster families and biological families can connect and support these kiddos and make them the priority. Um, We've seen... Uh, we we had Utah Jazz tickets donated to the organization, and we put that out to families. We had three different foster families bring biological families with them and the kids that they sort of share and are taking mm. care of. And so something like that I just think is beautiful. I love to see it. And they're there together having fun, being one big family and helping mm-hmm. each other. Um, we had a foster parent recently that had a birthday for one of her Um, kiddos that she had adopted. She had his biological mom still at the birthday party. She had his biological siblings at the birthday party and their, their adoptive parents. So all of a sudden her family is growing and growing and multiplying and she's including them all on his special day so that this child doesn't have to feel like he has to choose. He can love his biological mom. He can love his foster mom, who's now his mom mm-hmm. because they've adopted him. But he doesn't have to decide, who do I have to love? And if I love one, I can't love the other. Right, yeah. Everybody's there together. And that takes one big struggle off of his plate. It takes adults being adults. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But also for that child to look around and say, all these people love me. I must yes. matter. Yes. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Um, what events do you have coming up? Do you do fundraising events? We do. Do you want to talk about the gala? Yeah. So we have our Fostering Hope Gala is set for September 15th. That will be happening in Draper at CM Prey, which is a beautiful venue um, up by the golf course there on South Mountain. And we're really excited. We've had amazing community support. Last year was our first real elevated event like that. And um, it was a huge success. We're excited to to build on that and see what what people want to do to show up. We we had some some great um, some great people just step in and step into the space and yeah. be so generous. And people want to help. I think that's one thing we really have learned and continue to see is people want to help. And it's up to us to um, provide those opportunities and make it easy for them and show them this is what kids need and this is how you can be a part of it. Absolutely. We also have informational events that are ongoing. Uh, the most, the next one coming up is called All About Foster Care, and it's on August 17th. And there's going to be a virtual component so people could join us over the Internet or they can be in person in our Orem office. And, of course, people can look on our website for more information about that. And uh, that brings up a, a, an interesting point. If there's someone who wants to support Utah foster care, but they're not in a position to be a foster family, that's one of the ways that they can help. But obviously, any nonprofit needs more money. That's the Always. best thing. <laughs> yeah. We're um, never going to turn that down. But yeah. what other ways can people help as far as volunteering or, or even in-kind donations? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, you know, what what a lot of what we've been talking about recently as we go out and, and um talk in the community is foster community, foster connection, foster care. And everybody can step in and do one of those things because you're exactly right. Not everybody is in a position that they want to be a foster parent or that they can be a foster parent right now. But there are so many ways that people can step in and help us foster community around these uh, foster families and around the youth 
and help us foster connection. So um, through our website, you can go to the volunteer page and sign up to be a volunteer. We have opportunities to provide a kids' night out where volunteers come and babysit and do crafts and do activities with the kids, and the foster parents get a night off, and they get two or three hours to go to a movie, Mm -hmm. go to dinner, sit in their car, and just enjoy (laughs) the peace and quiet. Um, So that's been a really fun opportunity for volunteers to get involved. We have a a couple of other new volunteer programs that are getting um, up and running. One will be helping supervise um, visitation between biological parents and Mm. the youth in foster care. That one hasn't quite started yet, but we're getting really close. So that's something that's interesting for people. And what other ways... Are there things that you need? You know what? We are always uh, looking for ways that we can support the kids in our families' homes. This time of year, there's often back-to-school supply drives happening at Christmas time. We often get amazing, beautiful community donations to help these kids have, like, jaw-dropping, eye-popping Christmases, and that's a ton of fun. Um, But when people reach out to the local communities uh, and the foster care uh, employees there, they can kind of tap into what the local needs are because there there will be uh, ongoing needs for these kids. Yeah, and one thing that we started doing a a couple years back and has really grown um, is asking people to put together connection kits and thinking about within their family, how do they connect with each other? whether that's a movie night or a game night or cooking or sports or whatever it is in your family that you come together and connect with each mm-hmm. other, can you recreate that in a basket that we can give a foster family? Mm-hmm. So maybe a game night is a board game and some treats and a two-liter bottle of soda yeah. and whatever that, that we can then give a foster family so when they have a child placed in their home, they have an activity that they can do together or we've had foster families then share those connection kits with the biological families so they have something that they can do with their kids when they come for a visit. Um, and that's been a really fun way. People have really loved that because they can be creative and they can really um, it kind of taps into their own warm fuzzies in yeah. their family and think like, yeah, I want to provide that for somebody um, and it could be it could be a huge variety of anything they want. So we collect a lot of those during the holidays throughout the whole year, really. But um, a big portion of those come at the holidays. And is there? I always hate to ask this question, but there are things you can't accept. For example, like homemade, you know, food is not something you probably can take. You know what? Interestingly, we actually have a program where families can sign up oh, and take a you dinner it. <laughs> to our foster families. Not because our foster families need dinner. I mean, it's not about that. It's about that sometimes our foster families are busy running these kids around to appointments, to therapy, to visits with biological parents, et cetera. And what a beautiful way for a community member to support a foster family. Like, hey, here's dinner. You don't have to handle that tonight. I've got you covered. So as long as it's from one family to the other family and you're not in the middle of that, then yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It happens. Used clothing, I would imagine, is probably something you don't want. You know, there are there have been times of the year where we can take that in mm, and pass okay. it on to families, but we only have so much storage capacity. So there are times when we're like, I'm so sorry, that's not a donation we could receive right now. Mm-hmm. But other times when we have an event upcoming where we know foster families are going to be coming in to gather things, we could take it in and easily disseminate it to our families. So it kind of is dependent upon what's going on. So, Nikki, big picture, you talked about a couple of new programs that are coming up. Where would you like to see Utah Foster Care a decade from now? Oh, good question. (laughs) Dream big. Yeah, Yeah. dream big. 
Well, um, I think that two things that are on the horizon that I think 10 years from now, I, I have great hopes that they'll be growing and growing. One is called the Care Community Program. We are partnering with Utah's First Lady and her Show Up Initiative on creating this care community program. And a little bit to what Jenny was just talking about with the meals, but really taking whether it's a church congregation or a business or a community neighborhood, and they want to say, we're going to wrap around this one foster family, mm. and we're going to provide them meals once a week, and we're going to help with their yard work, and we're going to help take their kiddos around to the appointments that they need to go to and just be an extra set of hands where maybe we can't be foster parents, but we're going to lift those of you up that are doing it. Like a so, foster uncle and aunt. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Cool? Yeah. Yes. yeah. And maybe help with child care. So that's a program that is just getting started. And we have such high hopes for that continuing to grow and grow across the state. The other program that I really hope to see um, growing over the next 10 years, we have a uh, clinical support for foster families that is also in its infancy right now. But back to families getting really attached to the kids and their hearts breaking when they are returned home, um, we're offering clinical support to those families to help them through that process mm. because it is real and it is grief and yeah. it is sometimes harder than death, families will say, because if they if they haven't been able to establish those relationships with the biological family and the children go home and they never see them again, mm. that's really, really hard. Yeah. So however we can help them and um, through that process and hopefully allow them to continue to do foster care, even though it is really hard, that's a program that we're really looking for funding from the community to help us grow and support our foster parents in that way. My guest today from Utah Foster Care CEO Nikki McKay and Director of Recruitment Jenny Shepard. And again, the website is utahfostercare.org. Thank you so much for the work you're Thank doing you. in our community. Thank you so much for having us. And follow along on our social media at Utah Foster Care to see events that are going on and how you can get involved. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com.